my primary goal is to really create something for my heritage or for my culture um, because I believe being under underrepresented there's still a lot of cultivating a lot of um, groundwork a lot of sewing that we need to do right now um, to get Filipino cuisine you know on people's top of mind this is the deep in the weeds podcast I'm Anthony Huckstep Owning your own cafe or restaurant is a dream for many people, not only in the industry, but outside it too. There have been many stories of some that have left their chosen vocation and put everything on the line to fulfill their dreams. Some have failed, some have succeeded. Many though, have been able to make a greater connection to food, their heritage and community, and it's enhanced and broadened Australia's culinary persona. Will Mahuse is the founder of Sydney Cebu Lechon. Will, how are you going? Hello, Huck. I'm very well. Thank you for uh, having me here. <laughs> well, we're stoked to have you on the show. I'm really interested to find out more about Filipino cuisine. It's not something that we know a lot about in Australia, um, but you actually left the corporate world um, five years ago to dive deep into having your own restaurant. What, what led to that decision? Well, um, uh, having spent uh, almost two decades in corporate, uh, I did take a gap year. I think it was 2015 from memory. And um, after how many months of sort of just, you know, just uh, time for myself, I then uh, went on to think, oh, where do I want to go from here? And it so happens that at that time, my dad was actually looking to, um, you know, like not, not throwing the towel, but like retire, um, uh, retire because of his uh, age and his, you know, he's not able to, his, his body is not as strong as he once was because yeah, he's of age now. And he's, um, and he said, look, if I, if I um, stop everything that I'm doing, there's going to be a lot of people that's going to miss, uh, you know, the delicacy that I've, been serving since 1991 so would you consider you know have a think about taking you know take um just taking over and you know have some sort of continuity and um after how many weeks like literally weeks of thinking about it um i decided to yeah take a punt and i delved into it and then so here we are mm. <laughs> <laughs> well you mentioned um 1991 when um your father started can you take us back there and, and how he started cooking what he was doing? Oh, <laughs> good question. 1991, I was probably year eight or year nine. Um, so I got to say that I wasn't interested about, you know, <laughs> I wasn't interested about um, starting up the charcoal, starting, um, putting on the, 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 the pig on there and cooking it. I was more interested in just going out and playing basketball with my friends and uh, after high school and yeah. But um, so 1987, this is how it started. 1987, uh, my, my family, my parents, we left Cebu, um, the island of Cebu in the Philippines, and we moved to Sydney, Australia. Uh, and, I'm, and then uh, basically after how many years of um, my parents, um, you know, feeling that they, they felt a bit homesick. So they thought their way to ease that feeling of homesickness was sort of to cook a delicacy that's known, um, uh, you know, about, about their, um, 
about their city that they grew up in, which is Cebu, and and that's obviously Cebu Lechon. So it was it was their way to ease that feeling of homesickness, and then out of that, people started, you know, can can you do it for us? Can you bring it to our next party? Can we buy it off you? And it became so popular that he started sort of you know catering on the side for you know close um, friends and relatives and family, and then before you know it, like. Um, how many years later, in 1991, um, he established his um, sort of um, uh, catering business. And that's when the Bulichon started officially. And back then it was, you know, the name was Fred and Feli Mahuse's Bulichon. And it was only in the last five or six years that I um, sort of uh, changed it and put a rebranding. And it's now known as Sydney Sebulichon. And 1991... Um, you know, 30, 30 years now, they've been roasting. We've been roasting um, free-range pork. And um, the recipe, the, the flavor, everything has remained the same as it was back then to now. And the reason why we know that, because we have um, regulars that, my, you know, that, my, um, that people have been buying from my parents, you know, from decades ago. And they would come back to me and say, look, you probably don't remember me, but, um, you know, I'm a friend of your parents and um, always purchased on, on Christmas. And every year uh, the flavors remain the same. That's why we come back to you. So, yeah. You mentioned that you came over here in 1987 from the uh, Filipino island of uh, Cebu. And Philippines is actually um, thousands of islands and the cuisine is um, not very well known in Australia. Can you tell us a bit about Filipino cuisine and particularly also the island that you're from? Well, Cebu is um, what we call the uh, Queen City of the South. It's in the central region of the Philippines. So Philippines being made up of well over 7,100, 7, over 7,100 islands. Um, obviously, Cebu is the, um, the second biggest um, sort of um, city, um, number one, obviously, being Manila. And Cebu uh, has... Um, is the home of Sibulachon. And it's uh, basically, Sibulachon is, um, you know, a spit roast where there's a lot of stuffings in there, such as your lemongrass. Your, I mean, every family has their own recipe, but, you know, we, we add things like um, different aromatics, such as um, star anise, uh, bay leaves, um, lemongrass, uh, shallots, uh, a lot of pepper, um, obviously salt, um, and you know other secret ingredients that each family will put in, and that, that's charcoal roasted over how many hours? But the, the the magic is in the brining. So obviously, when you stuff it and you sew up the stomach, you just don't put it on the charcoal roaster. You sort of we there's a brining process that we like to do at least half a day, if not the full day. And yeah, yeah, that's right. Because you, you know you want to let the flavors, the mar the internal. Um, marinade sort of um, infused with the actual meat itself that when it's cooked and you got to try this for yourself and you, you, you got to come to the restaurant and I'll, I'll sort of demonstrate um, what, what I mean and that you know you can you can really taste the flavor in each and every bite from the crackling golden skin all the way to the meat itself um, even without tasting it you just sort of take a whiff you could already smell the flavor it's sort of soaked in the, the aroma. You can't escape the aroma pretty much. 
Um, so Cebu Lechon is that, that that's you know I mean Anthony Bourdain when he traveled to Cebu, um, we were like over the moon when he announced to the world that it's the best pig he's ever tasted. And I'm like, you know, that that's like a privilege and that's an honor for people like me that are based out of Cebu. And of all, because there's different lechon in the Philippines. You've got lechon in Manila. Um, you've got lechon in other places of, of the Philippines in the south. But Cebu lechon itself is probably the most iconic roast pork in the whole country. And, um, and also lechon is a Spanish word for suckling pig. Um, to those that don't know that but um the way Cebuanos, the local the people of Cebu the way they did it the, the way they did it we've just sort of elevated it because we've stuffed it with all of these aromatics where it just doesn't smell good but the flavor is it's like a uh, uh a punch in the mouth like an umami bomb yeah it's also known for the amazing glassy sort of crackling that you get what, what, what's the secret to getting that uh, well, definitely you got to, you know, the, the part of the brining process is that, uh, you know, the, the skin, you allow the skin, of, of course, to dry out. And um, once that's dried out, um, everyone knows the technique where you sort of pierce the skin. Um, we don't we don't score it the way you would normally score the skin. Uh, there's a tool that's used in a lot of restaurants, especially. Um, I mean, you can see these tool. You can see this tool in Chinese restaurants where. Uh, they sort of stab the skin, um, make little tiny holes. You know, that, that's obviously one of the main things that, that, that we do to make sure that it does come out crispy. And, uh, you know, you uh, paint it with, um, uh, with a bit of oil and um, with, enough, with enough charcoal, with enough heat and uh, with enough temperature control, then, you know, you get that sort of um, um, golden crackling where every bite of the skin it's biting into potato crisp like that, that just crispy i mean if we chop it all up and get little shards you could probably bag it up and then call it like yeah poor crackling skin instead of so yeah it, it is it is really um intense like like a good intense of um flavor there are a lot of people uh, from the Philippines in Australia, but we don't see a lot of the cuisine. Can you tell us a bit about the culture and community of, of, of Filipinos? Definitely. So we do feel, I personally feel that Filipino cuisine is somewhat uh, underrepresented. That's probably the, the term to be. To, to be. And the reason why I believe it is underrepresented is that um, when my... When, when my, um, uh, the older generations, like my parents and my grandparents, when they came here, most of them came here um, with, I suppose, um, with already an experience in either uh, a professional um, sort of environment job, um, like office environment, or whether they were, um, whether they already held positions as warehouse managers in the Philippines. So, and when they came here, I suppose that's, that's what they knew so that's what they got into in terms of you know most of them went into the office work most of them went into warehouse work for example so it was somewhat for them it was a stable sort of um, employment and they sort of felt that going into a restaurant or a food business um, was a little bit too risky so they took that route of let's play it safe and fair enough and you know that's what they did to um, sort of give the younger generation like myself uh, sort of a head start. 
Um, and I suppose the younger generations are more now in a position of um, not, not privilege, but um, I suppose more of a um, position where they, they can take risks because I suppose, um, you know, if all things fail, we, you know, we can always turn back to um, go back to our parents. For, whereas my parents, if imagine if they started a restaurant and if it didn't work out, they probably wouldn't have that much of a support behind them. And so the younger generations like myself um, are now sort of um, building up that courage to be more entrepreneurial. And that's why in the last five or eight years, you're seeing more and more Filipino eateries or cafes or restaurants or even catering uh, businesses starting to pop up. Whereas 15 years, 20, 30, 40 years ago, it's extremely rare. There might be back 20 or 30 years ago, there might only have been maybe, I don't know, five Filipino restaurants, if that even, all around Sydney. Whereas now it's probably quadruple that um, at least. And I guess it's got to do with um, the risk um, that we are now able to take. Um, whereas back then, 30 years ago, the risk was too high. So that's the reason why none of them really had that courage to put up a, a restaurant or a cafe. Um, yeah, as such, yeah. There are many restaurateurs that will tell you it's a risk to open a, a restaurant no matter your background with the low margins. What's it been like coming from the corporate world and leaving that behind and and entering the world of hospitality and running the restaurant? I, I do miss the corporate world because, um, I mean, uh, what I miss is uh, my, my colleagues, my, you know, people that you work with, that I've worked with. Um, not so much the targets. <laughs> Uh, not so much the, not, not so much the KPIs or the sales targets, but but yeah, the, the camaraderie. That's that's what I miss, and um, and I've I've always um, worked well with with a team, and um, I, I thrive working with, with different um, team members. Um, but uh, you know, in I, if I do look back um, five six years ago, um, I'm glad that I made the decision of really putting up. Um, you know, Filipino uh, restaurant and, and sort of putting ourselves out there to be discovered and to be appreciated by non-Filipinos. And, uh, and um, what I love about um, what I'm doing now is that not only, because I've always considered myself as, uh, you know, a foodie, um, um, what I love doing now is that not only um, do I get to share my cultural sort of background in terms of the culinary space but I get to promote more so my culture my culinary culture to people have that have never come across never heard of you know Filipino food and just when people come in and try Filipino food for the very first time and they take a bite out of I mean charcoal roast pork is you know that that term is not new a lot of a lot of Americans a lot of Europeans know what charcoal roast pork is it's just in the philippines we call it sibulachon um so in our menu what helps of course is to have that translation sibulachon is charcoal roast pork and when i explain to them and show them photos and once they bite into it they always give me that expression where have you been all this time like <laughs> wow it's like you know we know charcoal roast pork we've had it most most of the times on weekends with family but this is one crazy charcoal roast pork like 
yeah, where, where has this flavor been, been all this time? Why have you been sort of hiding it? And when, whenever I hear that expression or that feedback and I'm like, yep, yep, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm where I'm meant to be. And it's, it's awesome and it's fabulous for me to be able to share my culinary heritage to those that I've never come across Filipino cuisine. Well, the uh, Cebu Lechon is, you know, the star dish and the foundation of the, the restaurant. But can you tell us about some of the other food that you have on the menu and um, what makes it so special? Yeah, you're right. So Cebu Lechon is a star dish. Um, it's the name of, of the uh, meal itself, the vine. And uh, also it's the name of a restaurant. So, yeah, no pressure, right? Naming your restaurant. <laughs> Naming your restaurant meat, Sydney meat pie. Um, obviously, good. <laughs> But um, so, yeah, we're, we're very blessed that we're able to live up to that name. And even even people that just arrived that might just, uh, you know, migrated from Cebu in the last how many years and they they miss Cebu and they come to our restaurant. They always say to us, well, you know, you've 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 hit the mark. Um, you know, the only thing that's missing is like, uh, you know, the beach and the sand outside of these windows. Um, but um, the other viands or the other dishes that we have to supplement or to back up our star dish, Sibulichon, are things like chicken homba. So chicken homba in English is uh, braised soy chicken. We serve it in a, in a clay pot. It's slow cooked. Again, full of aromatics. Um, it's based with a lot of soy, uh, slight, slight vinegar, uh, um, garlic. And the reason why I have that on our menu is that that's, a, um, I suppose, out of um, uh, love for my grandmother who introduced that recipe to my dad, who's passed it down to me, I suppose it's a recognition of, of, of her recipe. And so every dish that's on our menu such as that actually has a meaning. And we're probably the only or one of the few restaurants in Sydney that has such a short menu. Um, most restaurants that you walk into will probably have, you know, easy, ho easy over half a dozen menu, maybe even... 20 or 30 items on the menu but our restaurant only has from memory about seven or eight items on it it's very short right so people yeah it has its pros and cons um but for the most part people do appreciate it because they always say to me uh yeah um i can see why um you're doing what you're doing because you want to focus on getting each and every seven or eight dishes out um consistently with punchy flavors you know, I would rather have that than go into a place where there's like 20 different items to choose from and sort of scratch your head. Oh, out of these 20, you know, where do I start? So that's that's the reason why we made it so short is that we want to focus on something that we know we can do very well every day, every week of the year and really not fail you. I mean, if you're going to have chicken homba um, a year ago and you come back two years later, the aroma, the flavor will still be the same. Um, and, um, you know, we, we've got lechon kawale, which is the twice cooked uh, deep fried pork belly. We have the crispy beagle express, which is the spicy coconut curry, uh, uh, crispy pork belly. Um, we have the skewers, which the barbecue pork skewers, we have a coating with our secret sauce, which is pretty addictive, the sauce itself and, and the meat. We have organic mixed vegetables, which we uh, serve in clay pot. We've got the uh, caramelized cured um, pork neck. So, um, the, you know, those are some of the dishes out of the seven or the eight that we have at the restaurant. But the signature dish, obviously, is the charcoal roast pork, the Sydney 
Pebblechon. You're situated uh, on Newtown's Enmore Road, which is a really thriving sort of hub of um, different sort of cuisines. Well, why did you choose that area and that site? Oh, well, first of all, um, that site just uh, happened organically. Well, I mean, what I mean is that um, back in 2000, was it 18 or two, 17 and 18, um, I was sort of envisioning I'm going to have a Filipino eatery, but um, it's going to be in an area where the Filipinos are a minority. Um, so obviously with that thought, it could have been anywhere. It could have been Marrickville. It could have been Darlinghurst. But um, when the place in Enmore popped up, basically, you know, I um, I looked at it. And then from looking at it, it sort of just fell into, the, in, into you know, into place. So I, I was so um, happy that I didn't have to sort of... Um, you know, break down doors to make things happen because it just sort of fell into the place. And I couldn't have asked for a better place because Enmore, such a eccentric, very unique, uh, very uh, welcoming community. Um, a lot of, um, a lot of uh, ethnic, um, different sort of ethnic restaurants there from, you know, from your uh, Thai, Vietnamese, Japanese. Um, uh, so there's even um, Portuguese down the road and a lot of um, uh, Turkish restaurants where the, where the only Filipino restaurant there, like literally the only Filipino restaurant. And, but yet we, are, uh, we have been embraced by the locals and they've shown us a lot of love and support, especially, most especially that was very visible during the pandemic, the start of the pandemic or the lockdown, I should say, back in March, I think it was, March or April last year. Um, where obviously we couldn't, you know, accept diners, um, but people from from the surrounding suburbs just ordered online, came and pick up their order. So, yeah, that's when we saw, wow, like such a loving community. And um, yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better community to to sort of be to be to be in. Yeah, we're we're very happy to be the only Filipino restaurant in in that very beautiful um, you know community of uh, Newtown on Enmore Road. Yeah. I know uh, the history of hospitality in your family is very rich, but you came from the corporate world a couple of years ago and uh, started your own venue. What surprised you about running a restaurant? Uh, well, you know, I mean, I'm quite different to most um, places. And I know there's some people out there that are in the same position as me, whereas uh, we're, we're, we're self-funded. We, we don't have a line of credit with a bank. We don't have investors um, as such. Um, every dollar and cent, you know, was pulled out of um, our own pocket from the savings that, you know, we put together, that I put together in my in my previous corporate um, uh, salary. Um, and, that, you know, in saying that, that's also one of the reasons why we're not able to expand as, as most people are able to expand. They can open up different restaurants or different uh, establishments. Um, within the year, within you know, within two years, but with us, it's a it's a slow but surely uh, progressive direction, positive progressive direction, and you know we, um, the, I suppose, um, being being that type of um, uh, uh, sort of setup, you do do most things like you know your your administration, your accounting, um, and, and you can't always afford to hire. A general manager, for example. Um, so you do a lot of things yourself, such as social media, and and I'm fine with that because actually it's taught me a lot of experiences 
in terms of social media marketing, a lot of, you know, PR, for example, um, administration, which, um, you know, that wasn't really my, um, my strongest sort of uh, skill set because obviously in corporate, there's different administration um, departments that will do a lot of admin work for you. Um, but the, the transferable skills that I, that I was able to sort of apply and grow my company, my restaurant, is things like your leadership and, and your sales um, your, your sales skills, um, your networking skills. Um, so those are the things that I was able to learn in my corporate um, uh, years and apply it to my restaurant business. Um, and I suppose um, I do more hours now as a restaurateur, as a as a chef, as a um, as a person who does it all, buying the grocery, uh, you know, going to the organic farm and picking out the you know my my snake beans and my okras and pumpkins and so forth. So, um, but you know, if um, if I was you know like the bigger restaurant groups, you've got all these people doing all these things for you, but I'm not at that stage yet. But I'm I'm fine with that because I'm learning from the you know from the ground down. And I can sort of build it all the way up. So when I get to that stage, I can sort of look back and say, yeah, look, I know how to do that. And it teaches you um, a, lot of, a lot of things that you can sort of, um, uh, you know, take on going forward. Um, so, yeah, no, no, no regrets. Uh, it's all a learning experience, which I'm embracing. And, um, you know, you, you sleep late at night because, you know, you want to make sure that before you turn the new leaf for the next day you've got things covered as much as possible for the next day but again that's all part of part of growing and part of um, building something like a legacy and what I'm my my aim is not to so much build a name for myself per se I mean that's probably a byproduct but my primary goal is to really create something for my heritage or for my culture um, because I believe being under underrepresented, there's still a lot of cultivating, a lot of um, groundwork, a lot of sewing that we need to do right now um, to get Filipino cuisine, you know, on people's top of mind. You mentioned that the opportunity to open your own restaurant came from your father looking to step away from the pans. Um, is is there a role for your family with the current model that you have? And, and what do they think about the offering that you have? Yeah, definitely. Look, my, my parents or my dad has um, is still helping me sometimes. Uh, he's, he's actually quite hands-on. If I need like restaurant supplies, which I do on a weekly, weekly basis, uh, I'll just shoot him over a list and then he'll you know, source it for me and he will drop it off at the restaurant. So he's very hands-on like that. Um, you know, they're very supportive in terms of, of everything, like of, of the menu. And he gives me feedback you know, if he feels like, oh, that doesn't look the way I would do it. So he would be honest enough and sort of critique me. And and that's the reason why we, I suppose, the consistency has remained the same for what, three decades now because of that. He just doesn't sort of, I mean, I know he's retired, but he's not just sort of sitting in the background away. He's still pretty much involved. And he's very proud of the fact that, you know, the items on the menu um, sort of uh, reminds him of the food that he cooks at home and, and the food that his, his mom, my grandmother, used to cook for him. So in, I, I, I believe all in all, um, my, yeah, my dad still plays that supporting role. 
um, both my mum and my dad um, still plays a supporting role, encouraging me and, you know, putting me aside if there's something that needs to be sort of tweaked before I could put it out there. Educating uh, and sharing uh, knowledge about Filipino food and culture um, is quite a big project that you've set yourself, let alone running a restaurant. But so can you tell us what's so great and amazing about Filipino food and culture that you think would draw people in that don't know a lot about it? Well, Filipino cuisine um, is, uh, is, I definitely would say is a fusion of, you know, your Chinese, uh, your Malay, Indian, um, Spanish influences, uh, American influences, obviously, because we've been, you know, firstly colonized by Spain and then second colonization took place by the Americans. And, you know, the flavors that we put out on the plate is, uh, yeah, definitely fused in, in, with all of those things. Like, for example, with the chicken humba, it has a heavy influence of Chinese because the, the, the five spices, the early Chinese traders that came in and out of the Philippines um, during the spice trade, uh, the, the soy that we use for the humba, for example. And uh, dishes like, for example, the, the, um, the adobo, for example, that uh, also has a bit of a Spanish influence to it. Um, at the same time, it has a rich indigenous ingredient such as um, coconut vinegar or cane vinegar that we add on there, which sort of somewhat, for lack of a better term, preserves the dish because obviously, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, you know, there was no ref uh, fridge or refrigeration system. So having a vinegar sour base in our vine or in our dish would allow that to last, you know, days on end without putting it in the refrigerator, for, for example. So, and it's, it's quite exotic and there is a bit of novelty also in, in um, the Filipino cuisine, such as, you know, the boodle fight or the kamayan where you eat with your hands and you use the banana leaves as, as your plate. So it's very traditional, that sort of um, um, uh, way of, of uh, eating or dining experience. And, um, and uh, a lot of things that, that we use at the restaurant, so, such as serving um, our chicken or vegetables in a clay pot, because again, cooking in clay pot in the Philippines or in Cebu, especially during my, when I was quite young, um, I saw that a lot um, and everything was cooked out of um, uh, firewood um, and, and using a clay pot, which we use uh, we, um, the outdoor kitchen, which is what we call the dirty kitchen. It's basically just, you know, three, big rocks sort of form as a triangle, throw your uh, wood fire underneath it and you've got your clay pot um, simmering away. And that's all done outdoor, outdoor cooking. Um, and um, again, the whole experience, um, the diffusion of flavors between Malay, um, Indian, uh, with a bit of curry because we have dish like kare kare, which is a peanut based curry. Um, and the Chinese uh, fusion, uh, the Spanish and the American influence that's what makes our cuisine somewhat unique in a sense, um, while still using uh, ingredients from, from, from the native Filipinos, the indigenous tribes. Yeah. Well, it really is an amazing cuisine and I'm uh, glad that you're uh, sharing it with uh, Sydney and I'd love to see more of it. Uh, we'll, we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds today to share your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll talk again soon.
Thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. And yeah, to those that haven't tried Filipino food um, or specifically food from the island of Cebu, Philippines, come and give us a visit. We'll be more than happy to serve you, Huck, and um, your family, your friends, anyone. <laughs> well, we'd love, to, we'd love to be there. I'll uh, hopefully see you soon. Thank you very much. And uh, we look forward to serving you very shortly. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.